Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. Week six, MWWire.com's website. And Matt, this week, it's all conference plays. You reminded me just before we hit record, that's 12 teams, six games. Separation or or confusion is going to happen this weekend. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we all had, I think, this week is sort of circled on the counter for a bunch of you know storyline type reasons. And now that we're actually here, <laughs> it seems like, you know, with the way things have unfolded so, you know, to this point, you know, if you think that you know what's going to happen this weekend, you're a liar. <laughs> because it seems like just about anything can happen. You know, we've got, you know, a couple of games against, you know, you know, uh, you know front runners in the conference. We have, you know, maybe what you might call a loser leaves town type, type scenario in a couple <laughs> of other games. Pink slip you know, Saturday. Got, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would go that far, but no. like every, it's just about everybody has something at stake this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and it's a team to because if you, you mentioned Matt, it's going to be a team of contenders. We felt the fr- Saturday night game would be it, not the Friday night game. A lot of so, people, a lot of people, are going to be fighting for their lives this week. There, there's a lot of good games. Let's just get to it because week six is here. We have two Friday games. The first storyline, which was interesting back in the summer and I guess still interesting now, Colorado State at Nevada, the Norvell Bowl, as you like to call it, with Jay Norvell, who skipped town to go to uh, Fort Collins from Reno. They are a uh, – are you surprised Wolfpack are a favorite? Three and a half points? Not or should it be particularly. More? Or should it be more? But, I mean, uh, you know, if they're getting only three points, that means they're, you know, other than home field advantage, they are basically even. 
The Rams are literal. Well, I'll say literal. You get SP plus in front of you, or I should too as well. But aren't they basically like one thirty of one thirty one, somewhere near the bottom? They, uh, well, I mean, the entire conference is struggling, so I don't know if it's, it's fair to necessarily single those two out. Sorry, Hawaii is the last team in SP plus. Yeah, Rams are a hefty one twenty six. <laughs> With Nevada at 123. Oh boy. Yeah, the conference struggling, but this this game, there's interesting things. We should mention it is a these are all late kickoffs. It's 8:30 local time, FS1. So get some coffee or caffeination if you want to stay up a little bit late for that Friday night game. It's uh obviously at Mackey Stadium. Over under 44, three and a half points at the moment. It was three, so it moved a little bit toward Nevada, which makes sense. <laughs> But Matt, does uh, Nevada does um, CSU have any wide receivers that we know of? Are they playing this week? <laughs> Everybody seems to be CSU. I mean, yes, CSU has wide receivers. They still got Tory Horton. I they got him, but everybody else seems to be on the right of town. I mean, they're definitely going to be breaking in some new faces, but you know, he you know Horton is still there. Tom Panunzio is still there. You know, Justice Ross Simmons. You know, he had an okay game following up the Wazoo game a couple weeks ago yeah. in the Sacramento State game. So it's it's maybe not what anybody on the Rams would have expected, but, you know, given the way that the Wolfpack have sort of backslid over the last few weeks, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons to expect that this game should be close one way or the other. I think, you know, one thing that I'm really interested to see is whether the bye week did anything to help Colorado state with its offensive line issues, because through four games, the Rams have, you know, it, 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 and it's it's hard enough for like when good teams struggle with you know continuity on the offensive line, but they played four games. The Rams have, and they've already gone through four different offensive line combinations. And okay. it would not be out of the question that they you know end up going through with number five going into this game. But the, the the problem behind that is like we know you know just looking in terms of the raw numbers that the Rams have not been good at keeping Clay Millen on his feet. And that really bears itself out in the rate stats too. You know, Football Outsiders was finally able to you know put out a lot of the things that I've talked about. Uh, I, th- I guess most recently now over the off season through the team previews that we did, but it really kind of puts it into context a little more clearly just how dire things have been for Colorado State on that front. In terms of overall sack rate, they're well. I mean, you would probably guess they're dead last in the country. Makes sense. But do you do you want to guess what their overall sack rate is to this point? Like percentage, you mean? Or percentage wise. So it's sack rate for being sacks allowed, correct? That sack rate? Because well, so in terms wanted. of so it's basically con- converting the raw sack total allowed to a percentage of, of sacks allowed, you know, in terms of dropbacks overall. I don't know, is twelve percent too high? No, it's not. <laughs> not high enough? <laughs> it's not high enough. Eighteen? Close. 19.8. So one out of five. And the, it doesn't matter whether you look at it in terms of standard downs. So like you're in your first and 10 type situations or yeah. your pat or your, your passing downs. It doesn't really matter. They're dead last in all three of those categories. And they haven't really been that much better when it comes to, you know, generating much of a run game too. You know, I've talked about stuff rate, you know, plays stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. They're 107th in that regard. They're next to last in power success rate. So short yardage situations, they haven't had any, any success at all. 128th in opportunity rate. Long story short, it's been rough all the way around. And some of it is, you know, inexperience. Some of it is injuries. 
and, and I think the saving grace for them in this game is that Nevada, after a really strong start, I, I would have liked to see what these numbers looked like after the first couple of weeks because the Wolfpack have been, by a lot of those same metrics on defense, I guess mostly below average in terms of like how they've done relative to the national, um, you know, the, the national landscape. Like for instance, their own team sack rate is only 5.3% on defense, which is 74th in the country. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say that there is like one obvious advantage that, you know, one unit is going to have over the other thinking in terms of like the Rams offense versus the Wolfpack defense. I think, you know, same as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the one thing I would be worried about is, you know, a guy like Don Peterson, who's been going off, despite the fact that Nevada is sort of taking a couple of steps back, you know, he's going to be going up against probably a redshirt freshman in George Mickey Han, who at center is only making a second career start. And I think, you know, if, if you're Nevada, that's sort of the, the, the one-on-one matchups that you're looking for that could potentially make a difference in this game. I think you're you're hoping that facing off against a, a Rams offensive line that's been so much in disarray is the thing that provides a shot in the arm for a defense that, you know, had some nice moments early on, but as the weeks have progressed, it's really become a little further and further between those nice moments. So, I, yeah, that's because we saw, because we saw Incarnate Ward tear him up, obviously. We saw mm-hmm. Iowa, whatever, scored 30 point, 27 points. That was close for half. That's a weird game. They have been kind of going sort of in the wrong opposite direction. They had like Don, mm-hmm. there's, there's some couple players out, like Don Peterson and things, but it, you, I, we felt with Ken Wilson and it's too, now we can kind of say defense isn't there because of talent and people leaving portal and all that type of stuff, just overall who's on your team because 46, there's going to be 48 to Air Force, 27 to Iowa, 55 to Incarnate Word. They've clearly gone the wrong way. It's too many yeah. points. It's what forty-seven I mean, game if, the past three games. If you look at it, it's a problem. Like if, if you follow Parker Fleming on Twitter at Stats or War, and you look at the advanced stats preview for this game, there's a lot of red on both sides. It's not good. You know, you it, it, so you know one of the well, no, you want blue is what you oh, want. Oh, sorry, blue. Paul, I'm thinking red and green. Sorry, that's right. He's red and blue. Excuse me. So I, you know, there are a couple of things I look at in particular which could make a difference in this game. You know, one of them is just, you know, who's going to get the upper hand on third downs. And I think, you know, with the CSU offense and the Nevada defense, that I think is going to be particularly crucial for both sides. Because as of right now, Colorado State through four games has only converted 19.6% of the third downs. It's next to last in the conference. Mm. It's, for lack of a better term, anemic. Mm. But conversely... Nevada is also dead last in the conference on defense, allowing a third down conversion rate of 48%. So there, there is plenty of opportunities for both of these teams to take steps forward. It's just, you know, it's, there's so many X factors. It's really impossible to try and predict which, you know, which of those things is actually going to happen. You know, there's, there's similarities just in terms of like offensive success rate, you know, Nevada's 123rd, Colorado's uh, 125th, you know, like their, their echo ratio, which is just like, you know, quality possessions per game. Uh, Colorado state actually has Nevada beat to this point in the season, 125th overall for Colorado state, 129th for, for the Wolfpack. So come on, that's, (laughs) it's like, go fight with some marshmallows. Come on. 
that's that's what I'm saying though. Like there there is <laughs> I opportunities know. I think for both of these offenses to take a step forward. And so I think a lot of what I what I just said for like you know mm-hmm. Clay Millen and company versus Tom Peterson and company. Wow, like that's going to hold true. I would say for the Nevada offense as well versus this Colorado State defense because there are some things that the Wolfpack have done pretty well to this point. Like I, I didn't realize this, but their power success rate so far. 100%. So every single time they've had a short yard situation, they've you know managed to convert for a first down or a touchdown, which is sort of interesting. But I think it, it's important to keep in mind that, you know, Nevada's offense has really been, I, I think the, the one thing I'm looking for is can they be more explosive against this Rams defense? Because I think one thing these teams have in common is like the pass rushes are, mostly kind of pedestrian at this point you know the rams have a team sack rate of only five percent so you know we we've seen you know individual standouts like Mohamed kamara has been like a, a huge player to this point you know cameron carter has been disrupt as disruptive as ever but i think this is where you start looking for opportunities for for other guys who were expected to be big big time contributors guys like cj onyechi you know cam barato guys like that if it's going to happen for this Rams defense this year, it's going to start happening in this game. You would think, just because as we noticed, the Nevada offense isn't great with assuming uh, depth chart on Rams depth chart in front of me. It's Nate Cox is, There's an or. It's still an or, obviously. It's just copy paste from last week, assuming. An old uh, Utah State Air Force non-trick trick that we fell for once. Give, uh, give it's, gonna, yeah, it's going to be Nate Cox because he's been starting recently. So Delta List or at Toa Tala, Don Devontae Lee, which basically split time. Yeah, I... There, you're right. There's opportunity for the both offenses to make some hay and do something for the, for their respective teams. I trust Nevada more just because they have at least, well, I don't know why I should, but I sort of do because the running game's stronger than what CSU brings. But Nate Cox, quarterbacks haven't been all that impressive, whether it's Illingworth or Cox, but it's going to be Cox. Receiving group is nothing great for Nevada. Like they're not two good teams, but this could be a chance to be playing against a bad team where, oh, we got a chance to play. Also, on the other side, did you see uh, we might have a new Rams quarterback tomorrow on on Friday? Oh, I didn't know that. Is it going to be Braden Fowler Nicolosi? It looks like it's going to potentially with because Clay Millen has a shoulder injury. I just saw this now. It came out. I did know that. Yeah, there was. I, I've, I've been sort of assuming that he was going to be back to one hundred percent, but maybe that's not the case. At, from Kelly Lytle, Kevin Lytle, excuse me, from Colorado, and just sometime yesterday mentioned he is still day to day, but they expect you're right, Braden Fowler Nicolosi. Will make his first collegiate mm-hmm. start. That's what it seems like. So it's an AC sprain. That takes a minute. It's especially if it's, I think it's his throwing arm. That would make the most sense why he'd be out. If it's non throwing, you can deal with that. But it's like I had shoulder surgery years ago and it's like mine was like a full re, reblown, redone thing and not nearly athletic or as much as it used to be. Mm-hmm. But there's still issues. It could take time just because you get tired and pain. And so he hasn't had a full practice himself, participating in practice in a while. And uh, Fowler and Nicolosi took the most first team to wrap this whole week and during the bye week. So it's been almost a two week thing. So mm-hmm. look for a new quarterback, which I guess you throw it to your one wide receiver you got out there. You got your, you get your players, but uh, the one receiver they have with Horton out there, but we'll see what, what they can do. And that could be uh, maybe a chance for Nevada to make some noise there. So do you maybe. think that the Wolfpack are going to try and make this? a game of, of limited possessions, or do you think they're going to try and air it out the same way that they've done against other sort of suspect defenses? Cause like you mentioned, you know, they, they got run over by incarnate word, 
But that was the one game that we saw Nate Cox in particular really sort of air it out. You're playing so, like, such what, a bad... what do you expect to see? Yeah, I would see in a bad defensive matchup. You're going up against a team, something you can take advantage of, whoever's at QB. Yeah, I expect them want, wanting to do that. Position-wise, I don't think they're going to want to hold the ball because maybe Nevada can with their two running backs, but they need points if they're going to win. As we've seen, they need to score points. They're not going to win a game 17-7. to Their defense isn't good enough, even though the Rams' offense isn't great. But I just expect them, maybe not force it to go down the field a lot more, but I think they might be – I think they'll have opportunities or chances to take advantage of this Rams' defense to score points. I think – because over-under is about 44, 45 points, something like that, pretty low. Yeah, I think I think I think those are possibly I don't know Rams can't score a dang thing so that's going to be close to get but I think whoever gets to like twenty four points is going to win but I think Nevada you're right my expectation would be Nevada would we've seen their offense able to do something whereas the Rams we haven't really we see Clay Millen when he's in there throwing seventy percent of his passes but they're literally two second slant passes mm-hmm. he's not he's not dropping back he's anytime he does we mentioned sack rate of almost twenty percent he gets hammered and crushed so. I think look for Nevada to probably put some pressure on whoever's at QB, especially if it's a new guy and they're if he's not the starter, obviously you have your backup plan. But I think Nevada will want to push the tempo a little bit or at least open it up on offense to see what they can do. And if they score points, they score points. I don't think they're gonna purposely slow the game down just because but because they see chances they can score points and move the ball against this Rams team. Yeah, I mean I think it's worth keeping in mind that, you know, according to Brian Fremo over at BCFtoys.com. You know, he has a yards per play metric that he uses that, that filters out garbage possessions and things like that. So it, it's a little more of a sort of an accurate count of, of, of offensive efficiency. And despite the contrast of styles, I think, you know, one thing that's going to make the biggest difference in this game is just who's going to be able to move the ball. Because in terms of like yeah. offensive yards per play, to this point in the season, Colorado State, according to this metric, is 127th nationally. But only 3.91 yards per play. They're, they're saving grace potentially in this game is that Nevada is 129th at 3.57. <laughs> the major difference is that Nevada is way ahead of them in terms of defensive yards per play allowed. And so I think, you know, if there's one potential advantage, it's, you know, if, if Wolfpack can get pressure on Fowler Nicolosi, you know, this game could get out of hand, just like you know all the other ones have for the Rams to this point. But if the Rams finally have some stability on the offensive line, we've seen flashes from this offense that they can be more explosive. I think we've seen it a little more frequently than we've seen it from the Wolfpack. So that's one of those things where you know they both had their struggles, and on paper it would seem like Nevada should have an advantage there, but I don't know if it's necessarily a given. I think with how better Rams defense is, they will. Mm-hmm. I just think both teams throw, there's potential for points in doing. I think part of the reason Nevada scored so many versus Incarnate Ward because they get the ball so many times. Yes. Because they, and so if they're more, obviously, want to be more points matter, obviously, but efficiency is what they're really striving for. And I think they'll get it done. I think Nevada should be able to take care of business in this game. But I don't know, man. What do they mean? I was yeah, going to say that's got? what the advanced numbers seem to say. Um, SP plus likes the Wolf Pack. They give them a 67% win probability, projected margin of about 7.5. Uh, FBI also likes Nevada uh, by a little bit less, 5.8 altogether. And Parker Fleming at Stats of War, his advanced stats preview gives the Wolf Pack a 
0.32% win probability, projected margin of about 29 to 24. That's hitting you over there, 53 points. That's right. What do you think? What's your gut tell you, or analysis tell you, one of the two, whichever you prefer on this game? <laughs> I think the Rams will be able to pull it together. Ooh. I think they'll be able to take advantage of of a Wolfpack defense that's given up a lot more big plays over the last few weeks. I don't necessarily think that, that the Rams are going to run away with it. I think it's going to be very close. Uh, but give me CSU, I'm going to say 28 to 24. 28 to 24 CSU. You are the only, besides our buddy Josh, the only other person to pick CSU to win the game outright. Everybody else is going with Nevada. So you see, in 28-24, I think Nevada, I'm probably in that same score range as you. I'll go 24-19 for Nevada. All right, then. It's, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. It, it's going to be – here's the thing. If you're watching this game, you're dedicated. Is that a good, is this a sicko game of the week we have for the Mountain West, this particular matchup? These two I mean, if, bottom, if you're a Mountain West fan, you, you will watch that game and the game we're about to talk about right now, which kicks off at the exact same time. 7.30 Pacific, 8.30 Mountain Time on CBS Sports Network, UNLV at San Jose State. Get your dual screens out there, folks. That's right. Uh, Ram, or it's not Rams. Spartans are now, a, they were touchdown favorites, now about six and a half. Who would have thought this game would determine who's in first place in the West Division? Nobody. Nobody. Well, I, technically, sorry, I could rephrase that. If Fresno State wins, they would be tied for first as well, but we'll see. We'll get that. Oh, that's later. true. Yeah, because the Bulldogs haven't played a uh, conference game yet. Exactly. But this matchup is, I think, the best game, matchup I'll see of the weekend because we've seen new. It, it's interesting that Rams, or I keep saying the Rams, are staring right in front of me. We got the two games. The Spartans are a touchdown favorite. I think it's still people not respecting UNLV for what they can do. Because last week, remember, they didn't have top receivers and they still went on one. It wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. And with the, Spart- the Spartans are getting things together with, again, this is more, I say it a million times, and you've mentioned too, they're more 2020 than they are the last year. Defense is playing to the expectations we thought. Offense coming together. And then last week when Kyrie Robinson rushed for 100 yards versus a Wyoming defense, that's been their missing key of having a consistent rusher of getting Kyrie doesn't need 100 yards. But if he go, he went 24-02, so about five yards a carry, five 5.1. Mm-hmm. If he goes for... 17 for 80 and it keeps about that 4.8 to 5.2 yard average. That's fine. They have Elijah Cooks who's tearing it up. If the way they're going to, if they're going to win is with Robinson going up against this UNLV defense, excuse me, and make plays. Cause if they just pass the ball the whole time, like Cam Oliver, he's a pretty good defender for UNLV getting pick sixes and knocking the ball down, those type of things. And the Rebels defense is fine. They're not, they're giving up about 20 points a game. For them, it's really good. And that's an, Area where I think that'll both these teams there'll be a lot of points this game, but stick on this side of the ball. When you look at we got SP plus here, if I pull my tab up in front of me, which I don't, regardless, we'll move on from that because I, I wasn't prepared for that page. Mm-hmm. But I do think what we've seen for the Rebels, they're not a team where if San Jose gets ahead, like New Mexico did last week, they're up more than 17 0 or something like that in the first half. That's right. Rams, like, I'm closing this page, Matt. I'm closing my Rams page. I don't know why it's open anymore. I keep saying the Rams. <laughs> it's just my tab. I have two half t- pages open on here, one half of two t- two internet tabs, and the Rams mm-hmm. is staring at me with Jay Norvell. I'm like, get out of here. But if the Spartans, yes, you know, San Jose State, that team, if they get a big lead, they can't just, oh, let's just be fine. We're up. If they happen, if they even do this, if they're up 14 points, 17 points, they can't just kind of 
sit back and kind of just like, uh, oh, let's run our four-minute offense. Let's kind of slow it a little bit. We don't need to keep tempo or score deep or pass the ball or do things that maybe the clock will stop or turn the ball over. If this UNLV team seems like they can come back against any team they face. and But however, if if UNLV is happy to be down by, say, 10-plus points, that Spartans defense, man, they might be able to slow them down. Because is this the – would you say this might be the best defense UNLV's face, better than Cal perhaps? I think it's probably within the conversation, yeah. And we saw them have to scrape, you know, claw their way back against a a pretty good Lobos defense last week. Mm -hmm. So I think in turn, like no matter how you slice it, yeah, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that San Jose State has been, you know, playing their best ball on defense. You know, in terms of like, you know, defensive points per drive, they're actually 13th in the country pretty good. to this point in the season. Um, but, and, but, you know, I think to the Rebels' credit, they're also a top 25 team. They're actually 25th overall in defensive points per drive. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So that's what makes me think, like as as many headlines as the offenses have generated, I really do think it's going to be the defenses that do a lot to decide this game. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have both been really opportunistic to this point in the season, especially the Rebels, who, you know, they're they're number one, I think, in the Mountain West. And, and if I'm not mistaken, they had the graphic out there a couple of days ago. I want to say they're like number one or number two in the country with in total interceptions. So like you mentioned Cam Oliver, but everybody in that secondary is playing at a high level right now. Jerry Williams, Jordan Morgan. Noel, Noel Williams, who you know we knew all about coming into this year, mm-hmm. you know he has he finally has a lot of really strong help around him, and so I don't think that you know Siobhan Cordero is going to find it as easy to to move the ball through the air as he did last week uh, against Wyoming, but I think that that's also true of Doug Brumfeld, who you know he had a hot start the first few weeks and and he has still been pretty good overall in the last couple of contests, but he hasn't had quite the same amount of explosiveness. And maybe part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, he's been playing without some of his top playmakers. Um, I think Jeff Weimer is, I 
at least if I'm reading the depth chart correctly, he may miss this game. Kyle Williams is back atop the depth chart, so that's going to be huge for them. Mm-hmm. But I see this, you know, as as being a sort of a I'm trying to think of the right of the right way to frame it. The Spartans haven't been quite as opportunistic, but they you know they've been pretty solid all the way around on a per game basis. Like you know UNLV and 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 the Spartans in terms of like passes defended per game which I think is sort of a, a, the most accurate way of looking at it. Because the Rebels have played one more game, it's easy to ignore that they're basically neck and neck in that regard. Like UNLV has given up, or, or rather, they've, they've produced 4.4 passes defended per game. San Jose State's right behind them at 4.25. So even if they haven't put up like the, the, the graphic generating type numbers, they're still a very good unit. And so yeah, I think, definitely. you know, quarterback play is going to go a long way. You know, how well the stars do up front is going to go a long way in this game too. Because I think one one sort of underrated thing that both these teams have in common to this point is neither has actually been that good about protecting the quarterback. You know, the UNLV's sack rate allowed is 7%, which is 93rd in the country. San Jose State is at 8.9, which is 115th. And those particular struggles have been really pronounced in passing downs in particular. So I think a lot is going to depend on how well both defenses can win on the early downs and maybe put Rumbeld and Cordero respectively into, you know, third and mid, third and long situations. I think whoever can do that more consistently is going to give their team a huge advantage as the game progresses. And back to the interception thing, UNLV is second in the country behind USC. Yeah. In uh, interception 11, so second in total and per game. So this this game is going to be fascinating because both offenses can move the ball. Both defenses, it's going to be like the thing where who's going to stop who. And that's why the over-under 50-something points, 52, is pretty probably kind of low in my opinion. It's bullish in my opinion. You think it should be lower? I think it maybe should be a touch lower, yeah. Interesting. I... I've, I mean, there, there's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. I just happen to be of the opinion that it's it's the defensive stars for both of these teams. So, like, your Kate Halls, your, your Billy Ami Pahokos, your Elijah Shelton's, your Austin Ajiakis, and, and those guys. I can see that I because think, the rant uh, – uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing today. I don't know what's going on. I, it's and dry, but I believe the, in you, though. You got this. I, I don't know what's going on. I just I, – I don't know. Point being – the reason I I could I can adhere to your point a bit because the rushing defense for the Spartans or rushing offense, geez, I'm all over the place today. Kyrie Roberts, like I mentioned before, a moment or when we started talking about this a game versus the Spartans and Rebels here, people, yes, that his consistency level could be a concern to where that you could see fewer points because if he goes out and has a game where he's known to have where 30 yards, 40 yards takes a lot of carries mm-hmm. to get those amount of get those amount of points or yards and. uh yards per play, whatever metric you want to look at. Like, uh, I looked at the wrong game, Western Michigan, but he has a bit to my liking where every day-to-day game where he's been that guy, and that could be the one weak spot for the entire game because both teams had good receivers, clearly. Both quarterbacks are looking good. Running game might be an area to look at to where you look at the Spartan side with Robinson because I've pulled his per-game stuff. I'm trying to grab it here right now. Like his splits and everything, he's – Done pretty well, but it's the first two games. So he's been on the past two, like Portland State, Auburn. He had only a uh, 59 yards. It was pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. 39, 
3.9 yards per carry, somewhere in that range. The, over the last two, he's been well over five. And he's had three, most of his touchdowns. So he's on the rise. There's still a little bit of, uh, well, maybe, uh, basically I'm hedging a little bit for what he might be doing running the ball because look at mm-hmm. last year. He's been the start of last year and hasn't done very well. Consistent and consistently wise. We're going to look to Aiden, Aiden Robbins for UNLV for what he's done per game. And he's been, he has the huge game versus North Texas, 227 yards and then pretty good versus Utah State, New Mexico, respectable total yards, but not yards per play about. 3.4, 2.9 the past two games. Mm-hmm. And then Cal was fine. He's been, even at the big game, take out the big game. Don't look at the huge game, which it happens, so you can't ignore it. He's been probably still more consistent than Kyrie Robinson a bit. With the Idaho State game weird, but they spread the ball. They won 50-something to zero. So that doesn't, it's hard to take too much out of that game when he's pulled early, when scores the mm-hmm. two uh, three touchdowns, looks like receiving and rushing. So I think that biggest area for this game is Kyrie Robinson running the ball for the Spartans. If he could be consistent, that's still not still not going to um, exactly say that's why they're going to win or going to predict the Spartans win if he runs well. But it'll clearly help to a Spartans win. B this could be a more exciting game if he's out there running the ball pretty well and moving it instead of just shave on Cordero relying to throw the ball forty five times. Well, okay, so here's here's one more thing that I think is going to make a major difference in this game. Both of these teams have played excellent red zone defense to this point in the year. You know, in, in terms of their ability to you know keep opponents out of the end zone or, or keep them from scoring points in general, you know, they're actually one and two in the Mountain West in terms of you know scoring percentage allowed. You know, San Jose State's allowed uh, you know sixty three point six percent. UNLV is right behind them at seventy one point four. So one of the major differences I think in this game. Especially if they, cho- especially if both head coaches choose to play it as more of a chess match, where you know, maybe they try, maybe they they think that you know they won't be as explosive as they want to be, so they're going to try and get points as 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 often as they can. I think it's worth noting that UNLV probably has a pretty sizable advantage on special teams because Daniel Gutierrez hasn't had many opportunities to kick field goals so far this year, but he is six of six. And I believe at present, you know, if the season were to end today, he'd go down as the program's all-time most accurate kicker. By contrast, Karen Shive, and we just saw it last week, has been pretty shaky here and there. He's only 6 of 10. He missed, what, two different chip shots from within 30 yards last week? No good. And I almost wonder if maybe that changes the calculus a little bit for Brennan in particular. Like, if they are in a situation where, let's say it's, fourth and five at the 15 yard line. And maybe you're down by seven points and, and it's like the late third quarter, fourth, you know, or early fourth quarter. What is he going to do in that situation? Is he going to try and get points and settle? Or is he going to push the envelope a little and test this rebels defense? So there, there's a lot of different potential things at play, but that's why I think, you know, defense is really going to be the rule of this particular matchup. So what did the advanced numbers say? Because I think this will be a tight one, possibly the best game all weekend. You would be correct as far as what the uh, the advanced numbers are saying. At oh, least. yeah. Uh, SB Plus, like San Jose State, they give the Spartans a 58% win probability, projected margin of 3.7 points. Uh, FEI also sees a slim San Jose State victory by just two points. Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Spartans a 73.72% win probability, projected margin of 26 to 17. 
I'm going with San Jose State to win outright. Outright at home in front of hopefully whatever capacity it could be at that stadium. It's also only about eight dollars to go. So if you want to take a sort of drive to go up there, you're welcome to do so for eight dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it's a steal. Uh I think it'll be I'm gonna go twenty seven twenty three for San Jose State. I think it's gonna be a really good game. Yeah. I think the Rebels can pull it out on the road though. I just I think that they have they have just enough of an advantage in terms of creating opportunities for themselves on defense. And I think you know Siobhan Cordero has been playing really well as of late, but there is past presidents to suggest that he might get turnover prone. And it's that's just enough for me. That's just enough for me to mm. think that the Rebels can pull out a tight one. I'm going to say 28-27 UNLV wins on the road. Awesome. All right, let's go to Saturday. Four games here. Air Force, Utah State. We have dueling games with a clock situation we'll get to later for the second game. <laughs> we have a 5 p.m. local kickoff Air Force, Utah State. If you remember last year, Matt, as you like to tell us, and last year, last year to remind people, this game last year was about, what, 95 points and a – Dramatic. Uh, uh, 48 to 45, if memory serves. So it's at 93 points? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got it. See, I nailed it. I can get some stuff. There you go. Where, the, where Utah, where the, uh, we came from behind to get the win. Now it's in Logan this year. Falcons are a 10 point favorite. Utah State's going to Cooper Lega. Looked pretty good versus BYU last week and probably his best game. Uh, we should note FS1 for the game as well. Five o'clock local four Pacific for everybody out there. So, you got all morning to do whatever you want to do to go do hang out with friends, watch other football, work out, do chores, do whatever, but get back for these games. So this one, it's hard to tell from Utah State because, they again, BYU lost last week was probably their best game of the year. I believe they're getting Alfred Edwards back on the offensive line, which was a pretty big issue last week for him not being around for the BYU game. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard. Like with Utah State, we know the defense kind of – faltered a little bit versus BYU late in the game, but they have players out there. But we always mentioned miss, missing guys from the years past where they spend their downfall. And that's kind of what kind of did them in against BYU last week for partially through with the guys they don't have or from last year. But I do wonder, I think Air, Air Force is more talent and they have multiple running backs and what they do. And Air Force, you mentioned specifically get to like the red zone issues and holding on to the ball versus Navy last week. And they've dropped the ball multiple times. Our buddy Sean put some, I think, in the first couple games, like the Colorado game. Another, they, I believe, like they didn't lose all the fumbles, but they lost many fumbles. Like going in, look at the Colorado game: five fumbles, three lost. So if Utah State yeah. can do something, they need to knock the ball around and hopefully on the season red zone defense have, too. Yeah, on the season they have ten fumbles and they lost seven of them. It's not a good percentage. It's and and you know there is maybe a little bit of bad fumble luck involved. But I think there's a little doubt that they really have been a little more careless with football than you might have expected them to be. And we, and, and if you talked about you know, with other teams so far, that's the kind of thing that we've seen a little, you know, more than once so far this year. And so I think that that's worth keeping in mind against a Utah State team that it's it, they still haven't played like their A game yet. But there's enough there to make you think that. If they can pull it all together, they might be able to pull another stunner. I think you're asking a lot there. I mean, probably. (laughs) 
it's like what what does Utah State do well? Like they've got blown up by Weaver State. They I know they played offense with Cooper got moved around last week for BYU. But okay. look at so you want to know you want to know what they do well? I'm curious. Punt the ball. I don't know. Even without Edwards last week, one thing that they've done particularly well, which I think could be one of the more underrated X factors in this game, they protected the quarterback pretty well all season long. Mm-hmm. You know, just going back to sa- overall sack rate for just a minute on offense, the Aggies have only allowed a sack rate of 2.7%, which is 18th in the country. And for all the things that the Falcons have done well to this point in the, in the, in the season, one thing that's been sort of strange, and I don't know that there's an easy way to explain it, but their pass rush has been missing in action. They are dead last in terms of defensive team sack rate, 1.1%. I don't know how okay. to explain it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's not there. That's that. how you explain it. It's not there. <laughs> yeah, and and they've been a little better than that in terms of like other areas. Like they're, they're in the top 50, for instance, in terms of stuff rate um, on, on defense, you know, 20.3%. So like one of every five plays, they're stopping opponents' offenses for, for either no gain or in the backfield. You know, they've been one of the best teams in the country in power success rate. They're actually second overall by that metric on defense. Um, you know, they're in the top 50 by opportunity rate, by average line yards per carry. But I, I say all of that because if this is going to be Cooper Lagasse's team now, I wonder if that means that we're going to see a, something of a change in what the offense wants to do. I wonder mm-hmm. if they're going to try and be a little more balanced and get the ball in the hands of Calvin Tyler Jr. and Robert Briggs just a little more often. And because I, and I wonder about Briggs in particular, because on a per play basis, like he only has 39 carries so far this year. And he hasn't had, I mean, he, he said no more than 10 carries per game, but he's been pretty rock solid over the last couple of weeks. Like he had, you know, 4.7 yards per carry against UNLV a couple of weeks ago, 4.6 against Brigham Young. I wonder if maybe they will try. And, and move not necessarily all the way to 50 50, but to lean on their ground game a little bit more if they think that Air Force isn't going to be able to, to threaten them and, and get into the backfield as often as the Falcons would want to. And I, and I wonder if they're going to use that to set up play action to attack the Falcons down the field because if they know by looking at film and whatnot, that the Falcons have not necessarily been all that great about threatening, you know, a pass rush. Then I wonder if they use the run to set up the pass a little more often than they have to this point in the season. They might have a player out there. So it's like, what's going on? Because I think, you know, despite the mistakes, I think that there's little doubt that the guys who were expected to be major contributors in the Aggies offense have been, you know, on the, on the upswing. You know, Justin McGriff has had a couple of really nice games recently. Terrell Vaughn has finally, you know, shown up. Brian Cobbs has been reliable week after week. So they have that that threesome that they can rely on through the air. And I think that you know, they're not going to be shy about letting Legoff air it out a little bit more. But I do wonder if, if they will lean on that ground game just a little more often to give those wide receivers more of an opportunity to, you know, to, to thrive off of play action and things like that. 
would make sense because he is like for Utah State. He's their best weapon, clearly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know if there's an injury issue or if there's something else going on. But I got to say that you're right. Like using him, like he is a guy where we kind of half not have Kenny, but kind of mentioned maybe me. Like who's a guy who could break it? Not that he's going to anymore because the way the season's going. But maybe the best non-quarterback in the conference, offensive player, division, category, if you want to get to whatever you want to say. But mm-hmm. he's, he's talent's there to do that. Cause remember, still go back to last year, he's leading the conference in rushing basically midway through the season. So he has talent there and he can do it. But I think that would be a smart idea. And I, it's weird too versus BYU because their rush defense wasn't eh, fine throughout the year. So, but. I think that is a key area if Utah State's going to win, but going up against like Brad Roberts, Zeke Daniels, I don't think Utah State has the defenders to stop them, and this might not be close. I th- I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Why would it be I, close? I think, what makes I you think, think it'd be close? I think that you might be under I mean, it's it really depends on how many explosive plays the Aggies give up. Exactly. Because, you know, in terms of like, you know, the ground game, the only team in the conference through to this point in the season that's given up more 20 yard plays on the ground is Hawaii. So it hasn't always been pretty. Like if you just want to look at it in terms of like, you know, yards per carry allowed, you know, 4.71 may not seem like it's that bad, but it also happens to be the, the, the second worst figure in the Mountain West right now. They're saving grace is that they have actually been pretty good about being disruptive, too. Like, in terms of raw TFLs, they're still number one in the Mountain West with, with 40 in five games, so eight TFLs per game. And if you want to look at it in terms of those rate stats again, then I think it is worth noting that, you know, in terms of line yards per carry allowed, the Aggies are 18th overall. In terms of stuff rate, they are fifth overall, 28.7%, which... You know, given what Air Force is likely to want to do a lot of, you know, yep. their own stuff rate allowed <laughs> is ninth in the country. So you do think that something is going to give there. The one big difference, and in terms, and and this is in, in on top of the explosive plays that the Aggies have given up, power success rate. For, so all of those positive things that I just mentioned, oh. Air Force on offense is thirty third. So 77.8%, not quite as good as they were last year, but still solidly above average. Utah State on defense is 124th in that regard right now. 87.5% power success rate allowed. How well they hang around in this game is going to depend on how well they do when Air Force gets to third and one and third and two. If the Falcons move the chains more often than not, it's going to be a very long evening for the Aggies. But if they can hold up, that's when it becomes a much more interesting game. So what did the advanced numbers say? Because uh, I'm not entirely sure of where so, they say, what they say. So SP Plus likes Air Force. Uh, they give the Falcons a 72% win probability, projected margin of 102 um, FBI also likes the Falcons by 16 and Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Falcons an 82.55% win probability projected margin of about 27 to 14. What do you say? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that the Aggies are going to put up a fight, but I do think that the Falcons will probably win pretty comfortably. I'm going to say 35 to 24. So by 11 points. Yeah. I'm going 34-13 Air Force. Not going to be all that close. All right, then. Next game, well, I mean, at New Mexico, which uh, did you know, Matt, I was told on Twitter, New Mexico is on a two-game winning streak versus the Cowboys. Is that accurate? That's right. That is correct. This game's at uh, no longer dream style, University Stadium. It's a five, all dueling kickoff as well. 5 p.m. local CBS Sports Network. Cowboys are a three and a half point favorite. My big concern about this game, if you're a Wyoming fan, is Andrew Peasley regressing from last week as we talked in the Spartans loss where he was, what, six of 20? I believe it was. 85 yards. Did have a couple touchdowns. Did run pretty well, but going six of 20 is ridiculously bad. Interception. And he's going up against defense that's on par, if not by SP plus, but 20 spots better than San Jose State last week in Lobos. It's mm-hmm. on the road, and that's going to be not just piece of what he can do, but we mentioned Lobos' defense. They're 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 pretty good. Like They're above above average technically, look at those numbers. And if Wyoming – that's the reason Wyoming – part of the reason Wyoming lost by two scores last week was when Peasley – it's a trend now because what we see, when he plays bad, they obviously don't win. Every game he's – well, I guess the BYU game's a bit different. He played pretty well in that game. But point being, it was still under 50% versus the Cougars, and that wasn't going downfield at all. So when he, basically, when he plays well, they do well. It's kind of cliche. But in the BYU game in the first half, he was doing well. A couple touchdowns, no picks, but just his uh, total yard doors in there. Bad versus Illinois. Bad last week for San Jose State. And I think the Lobos, as we'll get into the defenders and what Bob Davey and Danny Gonzalez want to do, can get after the quarterback situation, if Titus Swen is kind of hit or miss, which he's been fine, but not a lead is what we thought. This could be a three-game winning streak for the Lobos, possibly. Possibly, yeah. Possibly. And I think yeah, and I think a lot is going to depend. I mean, you, the Lobos' defense has been sort of beat up over the last couple of weeks. They're, they're, they're going to have to play the, the rest of the year without taping Combs, as we mentioned last week. Um, you know, A.J. Halsey stepped up. He had a nice game, but it it really is going to be uh, I I don't know that I have much original to say beyond everything that you just said because it, it really it does seem like <laughs> no, no no I'm just saying like it really does seem like as as Peasley goes so do the Cowboys and I don't think that you have to really look any further than the splits that he's put up in the three games that they've won versus the three games that they have lost have you actually looked at how much of a difference there is no what is it I'm not familiar exactly. So in the three games that Wyoming has won to this point in the season, Peasley completed 68.7% of his throws in those games. 6.8 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, one interception. In the three games that they've lost so far this year, his completion percentage is about half of that, 37.3%. Only four yards per attempt, four touchdowns versus two interceptions. So I look at that. And I think to myself, okay, well, when the passing game is working, that is when Wyoming has been at its best. But, exactly. what in, but what indication is there going to be 
that they're going to be able to get back on track against the New Mexico defense that it it's definitely taken its share of lumps, but they have been pretty stingy overall. You know, and, and I think it's equally true that when the Lobos have been at their best, it's been because the the the, the secondary in particular, and, and I think the defense as a whole, has been lights out. You know, in the two games that they've won, they've allowed a completion rate of 43.8%, only 5.4 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, five interceptions. That's excellent stuff. The problem is, <laughs> in the three games that they've lost, they've allowed a completion rate of 73.7%. 8.3 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, two interceptions. So it seems like the kind of thing that could very well go either way. Like if Peasley gets back on track, you know, we, we've seen that that offense can be pretty explosive when, when it needs to be. You know, he's had a handful of really nice throws you know, over the last month or so, but it, it could just as easily be that, you know, Jarek Reed and, and Dante Martin and company reassert themselves and you know, really bottle up a, a Cowboys offense that is prone to sort of scuffling at times. I think the big question is is both quarterback play. We already mentioned clearly Andrew Peasley, but what about the you know the guy under center for New Mexico? You refer to Miles Kendrick. Miles Kendrick, yes. He has not been the re- he's they're two and three. He's not the reason. Well, LSU game disregard. Obviously, they they were never going to win that game. But he has been kind of it's not how do I say not good in a nice way? He hasn't been great, it hasn't been good. He it's been it's been a trial by fire, let's say. It has. But, but I think it's fifteen is, sacks, it is, a couple interceptions, I five. Think given the circumstances, he's done about as well as you could ask him to. With no running game also, that doesn't help. Like yeah, let's put it this way. He's not the worst quarterback in the conference. Who's that he's, he's far he's far from the best quarterback in the conference, but in you know, through five games, he does have a better completion rate than Peasley does. Sure, five or twenty does a lot for you, and sort of four or six <laughs> or fourteen yeah. or seventeen. Yeah, yeah he, and, and so like he he's been okay, but I think it is important to keep in mind that you know, it's not just him. Like the offensive line has really sort of scuffled a lot too. Yeah, we just talked about, you know, I think most glaringly with the Rams a little bit ago about pass protection and things like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the the Colorado State's got company near the bottom of like sack rate allowed. The Lobos have allowed a sack rate of 12.3%, which is 129th in the country. So, I mean, if you're looking for upside as a Lobos fan, it's that the the, the Cowboys to this point have had a maybe a, a decent, but not great pass rush. It's been sort of hit or miss where, you know, in terms of like rate stats, you know, the Cowboys defensive sack rate is 60, uh, 64th in the country. So almost exactly in the middle at 5.9%, but it has been very feast or famine. Like they played six games and it's really been since the Northern Colorado game that they have had, a, that they've had a standout performance in that regard. You know, they have 13 sacks on the year, but nine of them came a month ago against Tulsa and Northern Colorado. So it's going to be really important for for the Lobos offensive line to try and get back on track as best as it can, you know, not only so to give Kendrick time to, you know, throw down the field, because I think we've seen enough of the offense to know that that's what they want to do. Like, you know, they don't necessarily want to be ground and pound all the time, but the offensive line has got to give them some help to do that, especially since we've seen that this Wyoming secondary can be suspect to, a strong passing game. Yeah. 
I just this game's going to be because well, I'm just a slight favor in this one for good reason. Mm-hmm. Both quarterbacks aren't great. So who's the best when we look at overall? Is Titus one the best player on the field, or would it be somebody from Mexico's defense? Like, who's I mean, if be, you're asking me, if you're if asking the difference maker, best, yeah, who's the difference maker? The difference maker is probably someone like Dante Martin. You think so? Okay. I think so. I mean, I, I think it is more likely that the, the biggest, and, and you know, this game is is not quite the same, the same as we just talked about a little bit ago with UNLV and San Jose State. But I do think it's the same kind of game in that it's probably the defenses on both sides that are likely to set the tone. Which, given the way that this game has played out over the last couple of years, is probably not going to look that much different to, to any Cowboys or Lobos fans that end up watching this game. Gotcha. So what are the advanced numbers saying this one? Because I think it'll be close. And over-under is abysmal 36 points, Matt. That's low. That's low. Very, very low. Very interesting. <laughs> very, very low. Okay. Too. So, so SP Plus does like Wyoming. Um, a very slim margin, though. Win probability of 56%. Projected margin of 2.8. FEI also likes the Cowboys by a little bit more. Uh, 10.3 overall. Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Cowboys a 61.92% win probability, projected margin of about 16 to 12. 16 to 12, okay. Who do you got? I, I'm taking my sheet here real quick. I'm, I'll make sure it's accurate so people, I'm not double dipping, saying one for the other one for this. I have one, I mean, winning and winning by the spread, three and a half. It's still low. I gotta go twenty-four. It'll be close though. I'll go twenty-four twenty for Wyoming. It'll be pretty close. I think there'll be enough points in there. Something will happen. Oh man, I can't believe I'm about to do this. I think I'm gonna take New Mexico. Why? What's wrong with that? I I mean, I I really do think that it's gonna be a defensive struggle. Yeah, but I do think that there's just enough in that Wyoming secondary that New Mexico could finally take advantage of. And I think that the Lobos secondary in particular could help make whatever lead they, they carve out for themselves hold up. New Mexico 17, Wyoming 14. All right, then. Next game, which totally will not start on time on FS1. <laughs> 7.45 local time, Fresno at Boise State, 5, 6.45 Pacific. The reason I mentioned that, Matt, is we, we instantly put on Twitter about two weeks ago, the Air Force Utah State game kicks off at five local. They're giving a two hour and 45 minute window. This is even like CBS Sports is like, what are you guys doing here <laughs> for these time differences? So I guess check your app. It might be a move to Fox Business, one of these two games to start or finish. I don't know. So we'll keep you alert on Twitter. But I think the easiest way, if you have authenticated for like pay TV, go to Fox Sports, you'll be fine. But it's still kind of weird that they expect Air Force Utah State to be a cursed 245 game. So Boise State is a seven and a half point favorite over your Fresno State Bulldogs, Matt, who are one and three, have a backup quarterback. Here's the big question I want to ask you. Is Boise State from last week's performance for when they crushed San Diego State that big second half? Are they coming off a one game high and can kind of fall back to what we think they should be because they're all adrenaline, new quarterback, new OC? Or are they actually that good of a team? Excellent question. I think we're about to find out. <laughs> well, yeah, I know we will. But what I want beforehand knowledge. I mean, 
it's it's really hard to say if only because you know, Fresno State is coming into this game with, I mean, you mentioned Jay Kaner and all that, but like they or, they have a rash of injuries. Wide receivers, other guys, yeah. Yep, Jay Kaner is out. Ed Williams is out. Dante Bull is out. Raymond Scott is out. Josh Kelly is out. Gabriel Lightfoot, the defensive tackle, is out. So they're you know they're not coming into this game at full strength, and we just saw. You know, both both sides of the ball really struggle against a UConn team that like they didn't blow them away. They just didn't offer any answers on either side of the ball. So, I mean, to t- I, I hate to you know cop out and not provide you with an answer, but it is very discouraging that the Bulldogs weren't able to move the ball basically at all against a. a what is what had been to that point a very subpar defense. So when I look at this particular game, you know, one thing that I look at is, you know, in terms of like, you know, offensive success rate versus defensive success rate. Um, you know, that's something that Parker Fleming puts out there. I kind of see that as a lie at this point because obviously versus it's not coming into it with the same lineup that you would have expected them to. You know, to this point in the year, Fresno State's 11th with a 50% offensive success rate. Boise State is sixth with a you know, with a twenty nine point eight percent defensive success rate, but based on what I saw last week, I think it is more likely that the, you know the Broncos in in terms of you know defensive talent and and better health overall are likely to you know to be watching film and just cracking their knuckles, just waiting for this opportunity mm-hmm. yeah. to to assert themselves in this game. Here's what I think about. Let me answer the question I asked before too. I want to say okay. maybe is that good? Is that too hedge of a bet? Maybe. Well, I'm maybe leaning. Me- explain. Yeah, I'm going to obviously. I think maybe they're for real because the first half wasn't good for Boise State either. For San mm-hmm. State, their defense held Aztecs down, and then they made some adjustments. Which that's why you have a veteran guy, Dirk Cutter, who also by the way is he's not hanging around guys. He's, this is a one and done thing for him as well. He's only doing the rest of the season, and then. Whatever he wants to do, he's not going to be the Boise State OC. I, the defense played fine. In the, we were really good in the first half. Really good in the second half, obviously. Shutting his Aztecs down, which they had their own injuries at quarterback and replacement players. Whatever, just, it, It's a mess there at QB. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm going to say they're more for real last week, at least partially, is because they, they didn't play amazing the whole game. And they didn't start off hot. They started off just okay. But then they really turn on second half, specifically offensively. Actually, no, they weren't good offensively. They had no points. They in defense. So I'm thinking they're more inclined to be in between. But remember, they played two quarterbacks. They didn't throw the ball very well. Taylor and Green ran the ball quite a bit. The offensive line stepped up, and George Lonnie had a big game, which is huge for them, obviously, which we've been saying all year. Give them, give any running back room to run, and they'll be good. But I'm leaning more toward they're more for real than not compared to last week. It's not going to be the same 100% second half performance where they rattled off, was it, four straight touchdowns? Mm-hmm. But I could see them being in between, which is still better than what they've been all year. And that might be a problem for Fresno State to keep pace in this game. I mean, here's here's the thing. Fresno State's defense has not been that good this year. Right. You're correct on that. I mean, they, they had a decent game against UConn, but uh, you know, I, I think it is probably fair to say that if Boise State comes out firing, like they did in the second half last week against San Diego State, uh, the Bulldogs don't have at this point a, a, a similar caliber of defense that the, that the Aztecs do. You know, I think back to the Oregon State game and the, and the USC game where they gave up over six yards per play. 
to both of those teams. And I think about how, you know, one thing that, that Boise State does very well is like their, their, their pass rush has not been a question on defense. Like, you know, we've talked a lot about sack rate today. The Broncos have a, have a 9.4% sack rate, which is 12th overall in the country. By contrast, the Bulldogs are only middle of the pack, you know, only 6.1 61st in, in the country. But I think more concerning, especially after last week's Broncos performance, is the fact that they are near the bottom of the country in terms of opportunity rate. So in terms of like letting running back get to the second level, the Bulldogs have an opportunity rate of 53.7%, which is 115th in the country. And as we talked about with power success rate for a couple of other teams, that's another area where they've struggled to this point in the year too. 88.9% rate allowed, which is 128th. So yeah. if I'm Boise State, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the fact that on offense, I'm a top 20 team by both of those same measures. Oh yeah. And I think to myself, okay, we know enough now, I think, with you know the sample size that we've seen from Taylor Green, where we don't necessarily want him to try and air it out any more than is absolutely necessary. And that's probably okay because we have a ground game that we can lean upon and really punish this Bulldogs defense. And if, if I'm Broncos, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm going back and I'm trying to do a lot of what I did down the stretch last week. Yeah, definitely. Cause again, UConn, they couldn't move the ball versus UConn. They could stop UConn, but that's not hard. But they, when it but counted, let's, let's put it this way. They could stop when it in counted. Terms of, right? In terms of available yards percentage allowed, the mm-hmm. Fresno State is 111th in the country right now. They've it's allowed 50, 57% of available yards per drive. And, and you can't even like pin that on like short fields, like that, you know, in terms of like, you know, opponents starting inside the 20, inside the 40. Or you know, at, across midfield and things like that, they're in the triple digits by all of those, and they don't have the same caliber of offense to bail them out this time. So, you know, there's there's a lot more avenues on on paper right now than there would have been like a month ago, where this could go sideways in a hurry for the visitors. I think it might actually, because unless Logan Fight figured something out from last week till now. And Boise defense can eat him alive, right? I think the one thing for Fresno State, can they just put Jordan Mims at Wildcat and do that the whole game? Is that a possibility? Is that a playbook that Tedford has? I mean, I don't know. I don't know that was going to fly for too long. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, Tedford also could be 0-8 versus last FBS opponents if he doesn't pull this off. I do think one helpful thing for Fresno is that a Boise State passing situation quarterback, if they rotate back and forth again like they did last week, that could be an area where that might have uh, the inconsistency for, depending how strategically moving Taylor Green and Sam Vidlak are, mm-hmm. that could be an area I think Fresno might be able to take advantage of. But the offense still has to do something against the defense. And I don't know if Logan Fife can do that with everybody who's out and how he played last week for Shukon, and this is clearly an upgraded opponent. I just, I oh, mean, I'm leaning more toward like a blowout possibly. I wouldn't blame you. Let's put it that way. Okay, what did the Vince numbers say then for this guy? So, um, let's see. It's, interestingly, uh, SP Plus, they like Boise State, but only 57% win probability, uh, projected margin of three. I wonder if that means that they haven't really caught up to the Bulldogs and all their problems yet. You know, that's one of those blind spots that a lot yeah. of these uh, advanced metrics have. Uh, FEI also likes Boise State by just 48 
Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives Boise State a 67.41% win probability, projected margin of about 22 to 16. Interesting. That's low scoring. And difference is minimal. A little bit. What do you think? I just don't like the Bulldogs' chances in this game. The offense looked like a mess last week, and they're facing a better defense this week. I just don't see it happening. I think the I think the Broncos are going to keep the milk can. I'm going to say Boise State 31, Fresno State 13. Whoa, 38-13. I mean, what yeah. else is new with these two I, teams? I, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong on that aspect. I thought I was going to have the big blowout game. Um, I'm going to go in your same air, same vein. I'm going to go 28-10 for Boise State. All right then. All right, final game of the day: Hawaii, San Diego State. CBS Sports Network, 7.30 Pacific, down there at Snapdragon. Um, Matt, can San Diego State on their own score 21.5 points against any team? That is a very good question. The, oh, the, lot, the reason I mentioned that because the line is was 22, now 21.5. Let's – no, no. <laughs> There's no way they can mm. score 20 points. Nah. Defensively, a special teams touchdown. They'll need at least two of those if they're going to get to 20, if they're going to win by that many points. This is really like, what? what's the opposite of the immovable object versus the irresistible force? Greased wheel? I don't know. <laughs> and and I say that because I think you, you we can have a, a very lengthy discussion about this matchup, but what do you, all you really need to know, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about Brian Fremo, bcftoys.com, his yards per play metric, filters out garbage time and all that stuff. On offense, San Diego State is 130th in the country, 3.32 yards per play. Mm. Hawaii, on defense, is 131st. (laughs) So so they are dead last, 8.89 yards per play. So you look at that and you think, okay, something is going to have to give. But what is it going to be? You know what it's going to be? I got it. Aztecs running the ball is going to get that yardage, not passing. And I think that I think that you have a point because the only, basically the only thing that has worked about the San Diego State offense to this point in the year is giving the ball to Jordan Bird, yeah, and and hoping that he can break one. You know, the, you know, in terms of you know yards per carry, he's been pretty good like he, he they've given him you know definitely more of a workload over the last two weeks he had 16 carries against toledo 13 against boise state before that game really got out of hand but he's averaging 6.8 yards per carry to this point in the year you know he's looked just as explosiveness as ever and and that is really the kind of thing that the aztecs have needed every last bit of because nothing else in that offense is working right now Nothing. You're right. Nothing. Are they really going to go back to Braxton Burmeister? I mean, I know that they don't really. I I know that they don't really have a choice considering the true freshman Liu Almave was. uh, uh, He he looked like a true freshman last week against the Broncos. That's a report from the San Diego Union Tribune. But this is a much different defense that they are playing. Yeah, and as 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 often as the Warriors have been pushed around, I think one thing that they have had going for them at least a little bit this year is they have been pretty good about you know defending. I mean, they've been okay about defending the pass, 
you know, six yeah. interceptions to this point in the year. That isn't really something that the Aztecs have have done a lot of. Like they've they've only thrown four interceptions as a team this year, which is kind of saying something considering they don't throw the ball that much. But I I wonder, like, you know, if 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 Hawaii knows what San Diego State is going to do in this game, which is to run the ball early and often. You know, to to that point, their rush rate over expected is still almost 80% in any given situation. Um, you know, like what is that gonna mean if Hawaii knows that that's coming, if they know that Jordan Bird is is likely to be more of a focal point than he was early in the season? Are they gonna be ready to stop it? I think is is gonna go a long way towards determining sort of what this game ends up looking like. Yeah, it's they've had an off week for Hawaii. They're coming to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Hawaii is just not very good. Like, I'm obviously going to ask yeah. them to win the game. And Hawaii is like literally, them and Colorado State are the pillow fight match of the year. Like, do they play each other, those Rams and Warriors? I think they play a little bit later this year, yeah. Oh, boy. I guess we have to watch that one or at least keep track of it at some point. Yeah, they actually play in a couple weeks in October 22nd. I would say it's like Hawaii doesn't – they got – Parson running the ball, but quarterback play an issue. Every we knew it's a long haul for Hawaii. I just mm-hmm. here's here's the saving grace. I think if they're going to keep it somewhat close, that I San Diego State can't move the ball. Like, what if Braxton Burmeister gets hurt and goes out the game because he hasn't made it past what halftime the past couple games? Mm-hmm. Like, if he goes out, who's who? Do they put? Are they going to just stick a wide receiver back there? Put Jesse Matthews who actually touches the ball more than they once did, a game. They did move Jaden uh, uh, Jalen Maiden back from safeties. Okay, put some athlete back there to do something, but it's like. Well, he he was a quarterback before he was moved. Well, I know, but I mean, he's an athletic guy playing safety and all that stuff. So just in general, not just a he's going to get a run, but that's what I'm getting. At. I I don't know why he does well to do anything. They can run the ball okay, but the Essex defense, which we saw last week with Boise State, couldn't stop any ground game or anything in general. Mostly the running game with with what Green and Halani and others did gashing him on the ground. So maybe that's an area they can kind of hold the ball. Hawaii's going to want to – not that – this is funny to say as I think about it out loud. Hawaii's going to hold possession, but Aztecs don't move the ball very well. Like, are they going to not a quick-moving team? There's not going to be many possessions. It's just going to be a low-scoring game. There's no way the 20 – whatever you get between 20 and 22 is going to hit for the Hawaii, like the – for the – to cover. Like, that's going to eat easily. That's almost like free money in my opinion. Like, nobody's going to get to 48 points. If they say it's a 22-point line essentially, 21 points, they're selling Aztecs can score – 30 something points when 38 10, 38 18. Oh, that's too high. I don't know. Well, whatever. But the difference, you're not getting 30, 25 points this game, 30 points in this game, whatever that math comes out to be as I'm trying to do on the fly. There's going to, it's going to be literally first to 20 is going to win and nobody's going to get 22 points. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's one thing to t- I mean I sort of made a pithy joke um when once the the lines opening lines dropped on Sunday, yeah about how I didn't think anybody should I didn't think San Diego should San Diego State should be favored by eighteen over anybody. It's not twenty two. Twenty one now. But the more I think about it though, the more I do think that you know Hawaii's defense has been like really rough. Like a lot of those a lot of those advanced metrics that I've been talking about throughout this podcast, mm-hmm. average line yards per carry opportunity rate, power success rate, stuff rate, sack rate, all that. 130th line yards per carry on defense, 129th in opportunity rate, 129th in power success rate, 129th in overall stuff rate. 
138th in sack rate. It's going to be a really long night for the Warriors unless they can find something. Let's not forget, this was a team that just got pounded on the ground by New Mexico State two weeks ago. Yeah. That's the one area where I think that why the Aztecs squint. But then again, are they going to run enough to score four touchdowns, five touchdowns? I guess we'll find out. I don't know. What do the Vate Suburbs say? Are they in line with like a 20 point difference? Uh, actually, they are. Uh, at least, oh. at least SP pluses. They give the San Diego State Aztecs an 89% win probability, projected margin of 21.3. Um, FEI also likes the Aztecs by 17.3. And uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Aztecs a 92.88% win probability. Projected margin of about 22 to 2. <laughs> 22 to 2. So what they're saying, take the under if you're inclined to do so in the place that allows you to do that. Uh, what do you say? What's your score projection? I mean, I know I made the joke early in the week about San Diego State not being favored. I would probably take San Diego State plus 20. I think they probably will score 30 points. I think I'm going to say I'm going to go 30, 31 to 10. 31 to 10. Dude, I'm going 24-3 San Diego State. All right, then. So it's just underneath. So it'll barely Hawaii gets through it at 21 and a half. Mm-hmm. I just... But the under is a clear thing. See, Hawaii can't score more than two touchdowns unless there's a fluke or some pick something, some some fluke special teams or defensive play early on where they score. But Aztecs are going to win. But I guess the main goal for Aztecs is can uh, Braxton Burmarsh to complete the game unscathed, <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So our wraps up for week six, all 12 teams in action, six conference games. We start Thursday, excuse me, Friday. You'll listen to us Thursday, hopefully, Friday with a couple games in Saturday late afternoon. So, again, you got your morning to do what you want, Matt. Go hang out and do stuff and then watch those four games. Two screens up are required. And I guess that's maybe where, that's ha- where you be productive so you can earn your, your your screen time later in the day. Exactly. And also, I guess, have Fox Business handy maybe. Is that where they send games to Fox now? It's It's been a while. I have no idea. Again, just use the Fox app if you if you pay for TV. So that's all you got. There you go. So MWR.com. Check us out. we got previews up. We'll have – a few other things trickling in before the weekend comes around, but we'll be back on Sunday at some point to recap week six and see who's right or wrong about the picks. And eh, it doesn't matter. Still football. Have fun. And let's just hope your team wins this weekend, guys. That's all we want.